And now the disclaimer. The topics heard on Into Your Body is primarily meant for mature audiences and is not intended for younger or more sensitive listeners. The suggestions and opinions heard on this show does not necessarily represent the views of this station, its management, or their underwriters. These suggestions are not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure any illness or other malady. Discretion has been advised. And now, enjoy the show. Hi again, and welcome to another edition of Into Your Body. And this is part two of our conversation about sexual myths. Those little myths that just don't seem to go away, that seem prevalent in media, in society, even in our own homes. In this episode, Sam and I discuss them, dissect them, and dispel them. And now, part two. And we're back. Welcome back. Welcome back to Into Your Body. And, what are we, and what's the topic again? The topic is busting sexual myths or Remember sexual that. myths or something. So are we ready to bust another myth? Sure. What are we talking about? Uh, let's talk about the myth that men are always ready for sex. I don't think so. You're a man. Okay. Are you always ready for sex? If I was always ready for sex, I wouldn't get anything else done. Pretty much. That's kind of that's kind of weird about the concept of the of men always having to be ready for sex, like just ready. Yeah, sometimes you're too tired, sometimes you're too stressed out, sometimes you're angry, sometimes you want to eat some food, sometimes you just really, really, really need some peace and quiet. For some people, they hear the opposite. It's the opposite myth that they hear: the woman is always ready for sex in some quarters. That it's especially married couples, it's always the man who doesn't want it, but the woman who's always like frustrated or the guy can't get it up in, in certain jokes or media or stories that we've heard. And it's the woman who's always wanting to have sex, whereas the man cannot perform. Well, sadly I have had that situation in a couple of relationships, but I wasn't, the woman wasn't always ready for sex. But yeah, it wasn't the same as being always ready, and that's right. the concept of being always, 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 always ready. Because right. the concept is that it's always, always, always on the mind. If 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 they're not married, then it's the male that's always, constantly, forever harping, thinking about sex. That whole I'm thinking about sex once every seven seconds, and that's not one, even the two, case. three, four, five, six, sex. Oh. One, two, three, four, five, six, sex. No, I don't think so. It doesn't happen that way. It's not real. No. It, no one would ever get anything done. But also, it's just, I think someone took an average about, hey, uh, how often do you think about sex a day? And I think someone just threw out a number. <laughs> I'm quite sure. And somebody went with that. Right. I don't think that's the case. I think someone... Someone was having too much fun thinking about, I wonder how often do men think about having sex? And I don't think men have, there are other things that men have to think about. And I think there's other things that women think about too. Oh, absolutely. That have absolutely nothing to do with sex. Yeah, nothing at all. 
Don't we have like jobs, lives, bills to pay? Dogs to potty. I have the slightest idea. Oh, I think I have an idea. I think I have an idea. And I think that could be in, I think I touched, I think I touched on this just like about two minutes ago before anyone gets married it's expected that the man be viral and ready to go and strong and just here i am i'm full of whatever i'm not not going to say this because i because even though this is a late night show this is still having to uh i'm still trying to keep this above the belt as much as i can right hard to do pun intended hard to do so what i want to say is too often and a lot of the time and i hear it again and i see it again it's communicated that the man be always sexually ready and to the point sexually aggressive yeah it's what we don't want but yet you but yet it's expected because we want to prove that the man can perform in bed and in some cases the man is able to have enough sperm to have enough offspring hopefully male more of that uh, i want to say more of that toxic masculinity being fed and shoved down into us you don't think it is i don't think it's i think it's more a case of an old school ideal where you used to have 13 14 kids maybe eight of them lived maybe six of them lived so it's like that concept of virility or being able to father as many children as humanly possible well a man can father a child until the day he dies a woman luckily doesn't have to carry a child until she dies that would suck but who cares we don't need that many people now infant mortality rates are down way down from what they were it's not the same social anxiety as we used to have but we're still functioning kind of on a caveman level. I see. As far as sexuality goes. So the concept of be fruitful and multiply no longer applies in this day and age, you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Look around. We're too many people now. People starving. People everywhere. Can't really get away from them. All right. So when we're asked that the man has to be strong, viral, uh, in bed... Uh, powerful, forceful, aggressive, present in that way. That's coming from a time when that was necessary for the survival of the species, but not so much now. So that would in itself would feed into the concept, one of the concepts, that a man is always ready for sex. A man is always ready. A man has always got to be ready for everything, remember. He's got to keep the village or the cave or whatever safe from other animals other people he's got to be there ready and able to take on whatever happens keep the saber-toothed tigers away he's got to keep the tigers away got to keep the saber-toothed tigers away or else it's just be too scary got to bring in the food he's got to take care of feeding his group he's got to do all this stuff and it was all the man but it doesn't it's not like that anymore it's just the societal norms have changed so much then now I kind of understand why some men get a little aggro because they don't really know what their role is anymore. Next myth. What other myths do we have? 
Let's go with sex happens on a daily basis for married couples. Going back to the married couples thing. Yeah. Okay. Do you think that's coming back to the point of uh, once a married couple finds each other, it's just sunshine and roses and they just want to hump each other night and day? Mm -hmm. The honeymoon concept. The honeymoon forever. No. Yeah. There's no honeymoon forever. There's no honeymoon forever. Why is that myth still out there? Because everybody knows there's no... I mean, we, we even talk about it as the honeymoon period and the honeymoon is over. And we even expect couples to have... Okay, they got married. Okay, we're waiting for them to get divorced. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's the happier ever after con- happily ever after concept. The happily ever after concept. We all expect this- that Cinderella BS to happen. But even so, I mean, even our, even the TV shows, even the, I mean, the tabloids. I mean, even we don't expect couples to stay together at all. I mean, how many? That's of, true. Uh, how many of us have parents that are still together? It's now the exception rather than it is the norm. But I mean, part of it is a good thing. Where no one is forced to stay in relationships they don't like anymore because right. of tradition or religion. It's now, you know, people are free to divorce people, and I think that's a welcome change. Yeah, in the societal structure. But uh, although I would prefer it if people took a little more time before they got married to be sure that this was a relationship in which they could work. Mm-hmm. Course, that doesn't always mean anything either because you never really know anybody till you've lived with them for a couple of years. Yeah, and then you think, well, mm-hmm. what did I see in that? What did I see? And then you start to, and then you start to get comfortable, or they try to control you, or they just vice versa, or worse, they just say, "Oh, I'm comfortable now. I can stop trying." Yeah, getting into a relationship is a lot of work. Maintaining it requires the same amount of work. Right. Same amount of interest. And if you want that honeymoon period, then maybe, you know, people got to try maybe having that emotional investment into that relationship. But that's a, that, that's a relationship talk. That's later on, isn't it? We're still talking about, you know, sex happening every day for married couples. Mm-hmm. And like jobs get in the way and illnesses get in the way. And if you kids. have children. Oh, yes. If you have you, kids. Kids, it's by appointment only, basically. <laughs> If you have kids, it's, okay, we've got five minutes. Quick. (laughs) Okay, they don't come back. Okay, we can only have this date between 2 o'clock and 2.45 because at 2.45 the bus comes back. The bus comes, yeah. The bus comes back. we got to finish it (laughs) as soon as we can. I think this is a good spot to take a break, don't you think? Okay. All right, so let's take a break here and do a station ID. Okay. And then we'll be back with more of Into Your Body. What's the next one? Men must always bring the woman to orgasm. Okay, here's where 
I don't know if that's become a sexual myth as much as it has become a a sexual demand that has crept into the cultural zeitgeist in recent years. Coming back to the criticism, because I think that's tied into the man has to be always ready for sex. But... And I think it's also tied into because if you have to be always ready for sex, then it's tied into the modern thing because now we know that women can have pleasure at sex thanks to the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University, thanks to Masters and Johnson, all the other sexology studies that have come through in the past 60, 70 years. Right. Now we know that it's possible to please a woman sexually and how to do it. So I think that the concept of the man has to is added on to the whole list of things that here's what a man should do in order to please his woman. And and you know what? You know what I think about that? I think it's a great idea to challenge men to know how to please a woman. I well, think it's sure. I think it's necessary. I, I'm I'm thinking that this is the one shift in our culture that actually turns into a positive i don't think it's become i don't think it's become a myth as much as it has become sort of like a demand into the point of this is what you need to do to please your other not just your woman but your other partner in general was like can you bring them to orgasm but let's throw this out there too what about taking responsibility for your own orgasm well how does that come into play well that involves actually working at it actually working at it actually trying and knowing what things feel good to you so that let's say you're getting busy and you're not getting as much out of it as you might want change positions so that you have stimulation where you need the stimulation and then work on that stimulation if you need to use your fingers use your fingers all right or invite some invite your partner to use their fingers. Whatever it takes. Okay. Be responsible for your own orgasm. So if you're responsible for your own orgasm, then what does that mean about me being able to bring the other person to orgasm? What does that what does that where does that leave me? Because if if the other person can bring themselves to orgasm and I'm trying to bring them to orgasm, what does it say about my ability to make the other person come. It's absolutely not your responsibility. It's not. It's great when it happens. But it's not your responsibility to make the other person come. It's a, it's a thing where you are involved, but if they're not coming, that's not a reflection on you, is it? But that's what everyone is told. If they can't mm. orgasm, then there has to be something wrong with your technique, or there's something wrong with how you're touching them, or there's something 
incorrect. You know, everything was fine. And then someone starts doing some weird stuff that they don't like. Which drops us into our final sexual myth that I want to talk about today. All right. That sexual problems are more prevalent in men than in women. And that's simply not true. Is the opposite true? I don't know if it's more prevalent. Well, perhaps. It might be with certain situations where they've been through certain things in their lives. Things like lack of sensation, lack of lubrication, um, in, in fact, um, lack, of, lack of erectile function. Because the clitoris is an erectile tissue. All right. That's the word, tissue. Okay. It's an erectile tissue, and if it doesn't get erect, you don't have that much sensation there. I know it sounds weird, but it's true. Trust me. No, I trust you. Keep talking. It's like if your penis didn't get erect, it would feel good, but it wouldn't be as good as when it's erect. Correct? Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, to say that only men have sexual issues, that's just simply not true. It really isn't. Women have problems, too. And some days, you know, and it goes going back to the men must always give a woman an orgasm. Sometimes it's just not possible. And sometimes you just are having sex for the intimacy value rather than for the sexual explosion. And maybe the intimacy is the most important part of the experience, as probably. As far as I'm concerned, the intimacy is the most important part of the experience. So that flies into the face of what a lot of people have been told, what the goal of sexual uh, congress is. The, the race to the orgasm. The race to the orgasm. Orgasms are important, and that's good. Oh, yeah. They're wonderful. So the con- But the con- you're saying the connection is the most important thing. I'm saying the connection is the most important thing. How come? How come? It's- because we are not meant to be alone. We are social animals. We're pack animals, actually. We need our packs. We need our friends for emotional support, somebody who's got your back, somebody who's watching the back door so no bad things sneak in. Keep them saber-toothed tigers at bay. We need the emotional connection with our lovers, or lover, depending on how you're wired, to... What's that word? You need that connection, that wire that you're saying. You need that 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 feedback is what you're saying. Feedback, connection, mm, that some connection, sort of. that that link, that total intimacy that you can have with a lover. Vulnerability. The vulnerability, like nothing. Nothing is really hidden. Really, when you're naked with a lover, it doesn't mean your clothes are off. This is the time when someone is at their most vulnerable. Exactly. You're they're, they're, most, they're most exposed. They're you're most, most exposed. You're allowing someone really in and giving them the opportunity to cause you real harm. Emotionally, physically. Mentally. Mentally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And someone who disrespects that 
knows that knows the great harm that it can cause to another person yeah. and are hoping that that happens to that other person. Exactly. So when you have such a great intimacy that's happening, it is the connection. It is the, well, part of it is, I to me, connection, but it's the agreement. It has to be an even agreement between oh, yeah. the people involved. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there needs to be an agreement that we can share our soft bellies our soft and vulnerable bellies together And now that we have some extra time left, I want to talk about what's the most important central piece to the heart of sexual mindfulness, and that is the breath. Without breath focus, the ability to focus at all in the bedroom is lost, and the energy just drains out of you quickly like a popped balloon. So how do we inflate ourselves properly without popping ourselves while trying to, well, pop an orgasm. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. So there's a process, and as all processes are, there is a right way to do it. So let's look at that right way to do it. And it's just with simple breathing. Now, how do we start? Easy. So just sit comfortably in any position you like. Anywhere where it just feels, well, like magic for you. You could be sitting on the floor. You could be sitting on the bed, a couch, in an easy chair, cross-legged on the floor. But as, as long as you make sure that your back is straight and that there's nothing blocking between your torso and to your hips, so you're not crouching down, you're not crouching backwards too far, but also as you're sitting up straight, you're not rigid either. You want to be as completely relaxed and free of resistance as much as possible. Now, when you're ready, all you have to do is just simply breathe in and take your time breathing in. Just fill your lungs up with air slowly but surely and then exhale slowly. And then you just breathe in again and then exhale slowly. And then just breathe in again, either in through your nose or your mouth, doesn't matter. And then exhale. And just keep going on for about five minutes. And then after that five minutes are up, then just go ahead and breathe normally and notice how you can breathe more easily, more efficiently, and more effortlessly. And as a matter of fact, you can feel your lungs start to expand. Now, this is how you begin to learn how to breathe consciously. And as you do more of that, it will take a while for you to get used to doing this in a daily basis. But just like everything else, it takes practice. So keep coming back to it. Now, once you get used to breathing, now here's one exercise that my teacher taught me back in music school and this is what they learned from a tuba player now just like the first one this one gives you a five count so this way you're training your lungs to inhale and exhale and to breathe in and out 
filling your lungs to their full capacity very steadily, but not too quickly. So what you want to do is you can set a metronome, if you have one, to between 57 or 60 beats per minute. Not too fast, not too slow. And what you want to do is you start. You want to breathe in for five beats. Simply breathe in like so. One, two, three, four, five. And then breathe out. One, two, three, four, five. Breathe in again. One, two, three, four, five. And breathe out. One, two, three, four, five. Now, after doing this for a minute, you just simply stop, relax, and then just breathe normally. And then after a minute or two of breathing normally, start it up again. One, two, three, four, five, and then exhale. One, two, three, four, five. And just keep doing that for about five minutes. And then after that, breathe normally. And like I said earlier, it does take a while for your body to adjust to the fact that you're putting more oxygen into your body. This also has an effect. The more you oxygenate yourself, the easier it is for your brain patterns to function. And the easier it is for you to come down from anxious and nervous situations because what we normally do and what most people do when they are faced with a tense situation is that they lock up and they freeze and they hold their breath. And that's the last thing you need to do. What you want to do is try to relax and then try to breathe in as much as you can or breathe out. Just exhale as much of the bad air, so to speak, as you possibly can, and then just start to breathe in again, and then you'll be able to ground yourself a little more easily. Now, you can do this exercise for about 21 days, and then after the first three weeks, you can notice a difference on how you are and how you react to things, and even how you are in the bedroom, because once you start to learn how to breathe, you'll start to be able to breathe more deeply and breathe more efficiently, which means you'll be able to last longer in the bedroom and you'll be able to start to feel more into, well, title drop, more into your body. And that's a good thing, wouldn't it? Wait, I'm not Martha, am I? Any other sexual myths we need to explore? I can't think of any right off the top of my head. Maybe we need to talk about it on a future show. There we go. We'll look up some more. Yes, because it's such a huge topic about all these sexual myths. We would probably want to dive into each one individually, possibly each on future shows like these. I agree. Yeah. Plus, they're fun to talk about. Right. And if you want to join the conversation with us, you can always send us an email at intoyourbodypodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook, also at Into Your Body Podcast, and a Tumblr, Into Your Body Podcast. Reach us out there. Reach us out. Reach out, reach to, out us. to us. Reach us out. <laughs> reach <laughs> us out, babies. <laughs> reach out to us at those connections, too. And, of course, the podcast version where you can hear the full and complete 
conversation that we have uncensored right there at intoyourbody.buzzsprout.com. And you can listen to the show on good old-fashioned radio on KEPWLP-FM 97.3 in Eugene. Or catch us online at KEPW.org every Saturday night at midnight. Also, we're available on Stitcher.com. And of course, you can always listen to us, the podcast version, on the usual spots. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. This show is copyright DJB Sundress number seven, copyright 2018. I'm DJ. There's Sam. Hi, Sam. Bye, Sam. (laughs) Good night. Thanks very much for listening. And don't forget to masturbate. Good night. Good night. Coming up next time on Into Your Body... Sit with your legs slightly spread, or for guys, I guess, stand up. I prefer, I prefer, I prefer, um, sitting. I prefer sitting. That's next time on Into Your Body.